0: This is 20 pages a week, where together you and I will read all the way through the Bible in a year. I'm Hal Hammonds, and I'm here to help. I'll supply one story that grabbed my attention, one verse I found particularly interesting, and one word that I couldn't get out of my mind. The rest is up to you. This is Quarter 1, Lesson 6. The reading is the Book of Deuteronomy. We'll start with my first impressions. Moses is very fond of the expression, the Lord your God. He uses it constantly in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, of course, is the book recording Moses' dedication to the people of Israel as he is about to die, as they are about to enter into the land of Canaan without him. And over and over and over again, far more often than not, he refers to Yahweh as the Lord your God, or the Lord my God occasionally. And this is one of the times, particularly, in my mind at least, when I think that the habit of referring to Yahweh as the Lord does a disservice to the text. And you can agree or disagree as you like. Most of you are aware in the King James day, there was still a superstition about the use of the actual name of God, what is called the Tetragrammaton, what we would call in English letters YHWH. Properly pronounced Yahweh, sometimes pronounced Jehovah. And the tradition of referring to Yahweh as the Lord perpetuated itself through virtually every translation of the Bible. Occasionally, you'll see one that translates Yahweh, Yahweh, your God. I'm introducing you to your new God, the God that you may not have known before, but who knows you and who you are obligated to serve, especially in passages like Deuteronomy 28. If you will diligently obey the Lord, your God, the text says in verse number one, Yahweh, if you obey him, then... Yahweh will do all of these things for you. But if you disobey, if you do not obey the Lord your God, verse 15, then Yahweh will do these bad things to you. It all depends on whether you will or will not make Yahweh your God. And the same concept applies to us today, of course. Yahweh is your God, whether you acknowledge it or not. And it's high time we started obeying him. The book of Deuteronomy essentially is a single story. So finding one story to pick from is a little bit challenging here, but I'm going to refer you to one of the last parts of Deuteronomy in chapter 31 and starting in verse number 16. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, you're about to lie down with your fathers, and this people will arise and play the prostitute with the foreign gods of the land into the midst of which they are going, and they will abandon me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them on that day, and I will abandon them and hide my face from them, And they will be consumed, and many evils and troubles will find them. So they will say on that day, Is this not because our God is not among us, that these evils have found us? But I will assuredly hide my face on that day because of all the evil they have done, for they will have turned away to other gods. Now then write this song for yourselves, and teach it to the sons of Israel. Put it on their lips, so that this song may be a witness for me against the sons of Israel. For when I bring them into the land, flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to their fathers, and they eat and are satisfied and become prosperous, then they will turn to other gods and serve them, and spurn me, and break my covenant. Then it will come about, when many evils and troubles find them, that this song will testify before them as a witness, for it shall not be forgotten from the mouth of their descendants. For I know their inclination which they are developing today, before I bring them into the land which I swore. So Moses wrote down this song on the same day and taught it to the sons of Israel. That's an evidence for inspiration right there. I don't know how much experience you have with writing songs. I've written a couple in my day, and it didn't take a day to do it. Certainly not a song as profound and as beautiful as the song of Moses is. But Moses writes down this song and teaches it to the people. And the text says here specifically it's because it is going to be a testimony against them. The idea of God knowing ahead of time, you are going to come up short, you are going to fail, and you have no excuse because I told you ahead of time you're going to, and I'm going to give you this song through Moses that is going to be a perpetual reminder of how good God is, how blessed we are in the service of God, how much better we are because he is our God. At the end of the song, in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 47, I find this an interesting expression. For it is not a trivial matter. Indeed, it is your life. And by this word, you will prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. God knows that the people are going to let him down. And Moses knows, because he's been dealing with these people for 40 years. He says this is not a trivial matter. And he comes back to this later on also, the idea of choosing life instead of death. We, as the people of God, have a similar opportunity to look at the blessings that God has given us, to look at this amazing world that He has given us to live in, with its problems, certainly, and with certain challenges that face us, but ultimately that expresses to us over and over again how blessed we are to live in the service of our Lord and Master. But we need to be found faithful. We need to trust in Him and use these blessings that He's given us in a way that draws us closer to Him and not forget in the midst of our blessings, who was the one who gave us the blessings in the first place. The one verse that I picked out, actually two verses, in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12 and 13, hearken back to that great message of chapter 6, where the one great commandment that Jesus refers to is given to us. Verse 12 reads, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God to walk in all his ways and love him and serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes which I'm commanding you today for your good. I don't know if it reads the same way in Hebrew as it does in English, but this construction that we have here, what does the Lord require of you? Very much like Micah chapter 6 verse 8, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love mercy and walk humbly before your God. It's a question, but it doesn't really come across as a question. It's kind of a hypothetical question. This isn't all that tough, is it? You can do this. Fear the Lord your God, walk in his ways, love him, serve him, keep his commandments, which are for your good, by the way. This is not God trying to hurt us somehow. This is him bringing out the best in us. And of course, the balance between love and fear is a conundrum that we have faced ever since Moses' day and before. How can it be that we love the one that we fear? How can we fear the one that we love? In reality, it's not all that complicated. The relationships that we have with authority figures typically fall into this category, whether we're talking about a parent or perhaps a professor or some authority figure that rules over your life in some fashion, or in the case of Yahweh, of course, in every fashion. We have a certain weakness in the knees because we realize who we're facing. But at the same time, we have a tremendous love because we know that he is exercising that power on our behalf, that he is continually merciful and gracious and patient with us as we are trying to serve him to the best of our ability. We fall short from time to time. All of God's servants have, other than the one Jesus Christ, of course. We are never going to be perfect, but he honors us when we make the effort, when we commit ourselves to this task, like Moses did, like Joshua did. We have the confidence that he will be gracious and merciful to us, and that he will bring us into the land of Canaan. He will bring us into his promise that he's given to all of his people, not because we are so accurate, not because we are so perfect in keeping his commandments, but because we believed him, and we loved him, and we made our best effort. The one word I had in mind this week was covenant, as in Deuteronomy 7, verse 12, Then it shall come about, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep his covenant with you and his faithfulness, which he swore to your forefathers. And He will love you, bless you, and make you numerous. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain, your new wine, and your oil, the newborn of your cattle, the offspring of your flock. And he continues throughout this text talking about the many wonderful things that God will do as his part of this covenant. Now there is a part that The people of Israel were supposed to play as well, of course. They had to obey and love and serve the things that we were talking about in the previous segment. If they would keep their part of the covenant, God promised to keep his part of the covenant as well, and things would go well, and they did go well. Good things happen to God's people when they submit to God's law, but they don't always do that, and that's part of the covenant as well. And more time is really spent in Deuteronomy talking about the curses that come upon the people than the blessings. We love to think of ourselves as the people of God and inheritors of wonderful things, and that's an appropriate thing in its place. But when we fail in our part of the covenant, when we do not measure up, then bad things are going to happen. And such was the case with the people of Israel, of course. And if you, again, know the history of the nation, you know that the bad times were more prevalent than the good times. And the things that Moses warned them about in Deuteronomy were exactly what would happen to the people. They continually fell short, and God continually withheld his blessings and brought the curses that he had promised to them. This is the nature of a covenant. Both parties have to be faithful in it. God was always going to be faithful in his part. The nation, unfortunately, was not. This reminds us, of course, of the covenant that we find in Jesus that's alluded to in Jeremiah chapter 31 that's fleshed out for us as a fulfilled reality in Hebrews chapter 8, this new covenant that is made with us that is not based on our nationality, but rather merely on our faith, regardless of who we are. We can come to Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and find peace and find contentment and find blessing in that place. But we need to find a way to do that in the good times and not wait around for the bad times. It may be even tougher to be faithful in this covenant in the good times than in the bad times. Moses alludes to this. But if we can find that strength of character, if we can dig deep and trust in God in these easy times, then we'll find in these bad times, when we need God the most, or at least it seems like we need God the most, he's going to be there for us then too. Thanks for listening to 20 Pages a Week. Please don't hesitate to reach out with your stories about your trip through the Bible this year. I'd love to hear from you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with your friends. And check out my other podcast, Citizen of Heaven. I'll see you next week. We'll be reading Joshua and Judges. God bless and keep reading.